Would you pray? Yes. Thank you. Lord, we're grateful to you that you have blessed us with children, um, sinners, all of them, and yet you have uh, begun your good work in some of them, and you have completed at least the saving work in many of them, mm-hmm. and yet, Father, we know that uh, the work of a parent, in, a parent is, uh, in one sense, never done, and Lord, anything that has or will come out of our attempts to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, have, um, they are always dependent upon your grace. And Lord, I, I pray for everyone in this room who might be tempted to think that the people on this platform have done everything right. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's laughable. Pray, Father, that you would uh, fill us with hope. Fill, fill especially the, the parents of young children with great hope as we talk today about uh, your truth and some successes and perhaps a lot of failures. We praise you for your grace and your kindness toward us and toward, toward our children. We pray, Father, that you would save them, that you would sanctify them and take them home to, to you with all of us. Uh, on the day that you have appointed for your glory and for our own joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you to everyone who sent in questions. They weren't coming in at all for a few days, so I was thinking, oh, maybe we actually gave you everything you needed to know. No, I didn't really think that. I just thought we're going to have to come up with our own questions. But then they started coming in fast and furiously. So if we don't get to a question you asked, come find us or another parent or someone you think might be able to point you in the right direction and uh, get those questions answered. But we're going to do our best in the time we have this morning to address the questions that were sent in. Uh, And just sort of as a preliminary, uh, Randy prayed this in elder prayer this morning, and I thought, I'm going to borrow that for the introduction. Uh, uh, And I forget who is it, Robert Murray McShane, who says that each of us uh, is just a beggar Uh, who's found bread, pointing other beggars in that same direction where they can get bread, and and just that we wouldn't be seen as a panel of experts. Dan and Chris are experts. I'm failing. (laughs) No, but we are just beggars uh, who can point other beggars in the direction of where to find bread, and it's, it's here. And hopefully that's come across clearly as we've uh, taught this material uh, and what it says about parenting. And that, that's really key when it comes to one of the things I think we'll get to addressing, which is how can each of us help the whole body? Uh, each of us can help the whole body because we have a sufficient word and we can point each other in this direction. So that's what we're going to do our best to do in this hour is talk about how we've sought to use Scripture uh, to handle the things that were questions that were sent in uh, to be addressed here. So I'm going to take it from the top, and I've sort of ordered these. Some of these were asked multiple times, so I've put those ones at the top, uh, and we'll just sort of cover as much ground as we can. So first category, uh, and one component of this came up a lot, but it's, it starts out with, is there an appropriate age to start spanking? And then especially this part, is there an age past which a parent shouldn't spank? Uh, so if I could actually direct that to Dan and Chris, since... Our oldest is 12. I mean, <laughs> you can punt it back if you want. 
And, and we may all want to weigh in on this just because, and, and this is another sort of point of clarification, is answers to these questions will vary by parent, situation, by child. And so there are some of these probably you're going to want to hear from all of us on to some extent, but would you take that one? Great. We'll have wonderful wisdom. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for the, the first question is when to start spanking? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think whenever the child demonstrates willful resistance, willful disobedience, um, that's pretty young. Um, but I think it starts there. Uh, we've, we've said a lot about, or you have said a lot about uh, how to discipline and, and uh, all, all of that applies, but, um, but that's certainly true, I think, for the young ones. You want to get the other half of this? <laughs> I think um, as far as when to stop spanking, um, I think you phase out spanking pretty early. Um, one of the things that we tried to do is not rely totally on spanking um, because you won't spank your children all their lives. And so, well, I hope not. <laughs> Sometimes you want to. Sometimes you want to. <laughs> so, you know, as you think, a lot of it is training and correction and encouragement. And as you think about your discipline, um, emphasizing the um, what you sow is what you reap. For every action, there is consequences. And so even as you're in, when they're young, you want to help them see there there's consequences for their behavior. When they're young, it's going to be spankings. But as they grow, you want the natural consequences to take place. You know, you want them to see that. And so we phased out spanking. I'd, I'd say it was different for each child. Yeah, it was different for each child, especially with the boys, so with the boys it was different because I did not spank them after a certain age. If they needed spanked, Dan would do it. So they would get to wait till daddy came home. <laughs> so it is different with each child. It's different with whether it's your daughter or your son. Um, I think that's appropriate for the mom to spank the daughter if you're giving them spankings at a later age and the dad to spank the son. And I think every child, either boy or girl, is going to be, it's going to be different, you know. Um, one of our uh, kids would respond with just a look. And another one really needed to be spanked repeatedly, multiple times, you know, for one offense, you know. And so they're all different, you know. That's the difficulty of parenting is knowing knowing your children, kind of knowing your flock, right, and what they need and making sure you give that to them at the appropriate time and the appropriate ways. Yep, yep. Good. Yeah, one more qualification to that. I think on the age past which a parent shouldn't spank, <coughs> just where there's going to be so many different sets of situations. I've spoken with some of you, I think, who came to faith later in your parenting and your kids were already older uh, or other situations just where you have older rebellious kids who've not been disciplined. Uh, and, and it's a wisdom issue. I mean, I've talked with parents who faithfully disciplined from a young age and still found it necessary to spank kids into the teen years. That's just going to be a wisdom call to some extent. Um, 
the one thing to recommend corporal discipline uh, in distinction to other forms of discipline is the speed with which reconciliation and restoration takes place. Uh, that, that moment of pain is fleeting with, with a spank. Uh, and, and this is something, it actually, I don't, know if, I don't think Tim and Amber Miller are in here. I don't think they'd mind if I mentioned this. This is, this is something that probably many of you know, that, that it's only recent generations where spanks haven't been administered even in public schools. So it's, it's a culturally conditioned thing to some extent. And we see in Israel that there was corporal discipline uh, into adulthood. I'm not saying we need to practice that, but sometimes we can reflexively uh, move away from things that are more in line with what God has set up. But again, it's really going to be something that's going to vary from situation to situation. And I think, I mean, you guys probably found, I think we were talking with another set of parents before this, that as you've done things biblically, and this is what Randy Patton talked about when he talked about parenting here, you start intensively and in doing a lot of discipline, and then the need for that uh, diminishes as they get older, their responsibility increases, and you deal with them eventually, Lord willing, like a believer, where you're giving them correction and teaching them how to confess sin and repent and the need for physical discipline. Yeah, so one of the questions I've, I've heard, or comments I've heard, is, is uh, a, a parent will say, look, if I, if I spank for every infraction, I'll do nothing but spank. I mean, I'll be spanking all day long every day. And uh, my answer to that is no, no, that, that's not how it will work out. If you're consistent, if you're faithful, uh, they will get it very quickly. And you won't be having to do it all, all day, every day. It, yeah. it may feel like that at first, but, um, but not later on. Yeah, and I would, I would add just as long as that discipline is effective as well. You know, because we were guilty early on of disciplining, and we felt like all we did was spank our firstborn. We won't name him. Um, <laughs> but that is all we did. And, and we had a loving couple in our church, small church. Uh, he was not a pastor. He was actually something like a cowboy, um, built fence for a living. And he, one day we were on a fishing trip. Uh, we were in a canoe together floating this river. And he said, uh, brother, I've got a question for you. Do you ever discipline your son? <laughs> and, I, you know, I was shocked. And I said, brother, I, I feel like that's all we ever do is spank him. And he said, well, what does he do when you spank him? And I described it. And he said, well, it sounds like you're not disciplined. You're not really being effective in what you're doing, and that's, that's what we were, we were just not doing well. Uh, so there, if it's effective, of course, yeah, the result is going to be, mm. oh, Hebrews 12, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what's going to come from that. And I would just add, Jason, to what you said. Uh, if you think about, and so last week, we, there was a little chart on the student notes that sort of describes the, the amount of discipline early on, uh, the rod early on, and then as the child grows, you have this sort of ascending, um, lessening of physical discipline and more admonition, more counsel, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. And these are sort of like, you could envision them kind of like building blocks. And, you know, zero to five is a block. It's a section where you are heavy on the rod, uh, where you're establishing your authority. You're, it's, you're essentially, you're establishing the law of the land, right? God has given you the authority. You are the authority figure in their life, and they must obey you. Uh, but as they grow, that lessens, 
Uh, I mean, you're still the authority, but that, that block has already been set. Right? So you don't have to reestablish that block. You move on to the new block, and you start working out new things. Now, here's why, why that's important. Well, a number of reasons, but one in particular is you can't go back at 13 and establish those blocks. Right? If you miss a block, you miss a block. Uh, and what that requires is prayer, God's grace, your uh, dedication to do things God's way at this season. Uh, you can't just discipline, you know, just spank them back in and make up for lost time. Uh, but you, you have to throw yourself on the Lord and do it God's way, uh, but understand that, okay, now we're in a new season at 13. Uh, biblically speaking, this, would, this man, this 13-year-old probably would have been working his own job, maybe married at this point, who knows. Um, so we have to treat him a little bit differently than we do our five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that's the caveats I would give. Yeah, and that the re- restoration to an, an experience of the peaceful fruit of righteousness is so ex- important, and that's whatever age, you know, that, uh, and I think you talked about this, <clears throat> immediately after the discipline moment, or with older children, you know, say there's some restitution or grounding, but they've, they've felt that distance from the, the fellowship and the joy that we have as a family, and then they experience the restoration to something that's good. Uh, so, yeah, especially in homes where maybe conversion is a recent thing, cultivating that environment of love and unity, and then when it's broken, it's felt. And then when there's a restoration, that's experienced also. It's just a picture of the gospel that can yeah. teach the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know, just to, not to beat this, but, <laughs> you know, if you find yourself the parent of a teenager and you've missed those initial building blocks, uh, much of what your... Um, Influence will be will be just that influence, mm-hmm. where you model uh, confession, forgiveness, repentance, patience, the fruit of the spirit, and you are making your Christianity very attractive. Yeah. Um, so you know that that would be the the underlying emphasis. There is your personal godliness and growth, and um, so there's much we could say about that. But we have a lot of more questions. <laughs> we do have a lot more questions. Uh, Okay, so uh, we didn't we didn't address uh, we did address appropriate age to start spanking, um, and another one connected with that should parents spank for toddler tantrums, and uh, what? <laughs> All right, moving on to the next one. No. <laughs> and maybe I will ask uh, Kelly because we talked about this one. Uh, that and then what, what kind of what form of discipline do you give when they're real little if you're going to start disciplining them you know when they're when they're small um, well I kind of this is a new term that Savannah introduced to me and I like that a robust discipline <laughs> okay well when they're when they're really little it doesn't take as much but um, I was talking about like that early age starting and I've definitely done it with babies on the changing table and they, you know, have their diaper off, and they're squirming, and they're moving, and you've told them to stop, and they're moving and squirming and trying to flip over, and I'll just lift that leg and give them a good swat, and they stop real quick. So, like, it kind of, like, you can start early, within, like, the year, um, training that. Um, I wanted to talk about, can I do the discipline in public? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and tantrums, toddler tantrums yeah, too. Yeah, and the toddler tantrums. Yeah, the tantrum. It, it kind of goes thing. in with that whole thing, like o- obedience is without delay and um, without challenge. Without challenge. So a tantrum is a big yeah. challenge to your authority. So that one is pretty immediate when a tantrum happens. And I always just tell people, 
as ugly as, I tell the older kids too, as ugly as this tantrum looks in Johnny at like two or three, imagine what that would look like when he's like six, seven, or eight and throws himself on the floor and rolls around. And so you have to get it so early when they start and just make that discipline immediate. But if they do that to you in public, I feel like... <laughs> So um, I was talking to Jay, and I said, when I've done that, and like we're in the grocery store, right, and the, one of my kiddos starts to tantrum, I do, um, <laughs> so I don't spank them in the store, but I let them know they are going to get one. So I give them a nice, hard warning pinch underneath their arm, so no one in the store knows I'm doing it, but <laughs> I give them a pinch right underneath here that's hard, and I say, the rest of the discipline is going to happen in the car for this disobedience. And usually they'll settle down real quick. And if they don't, then sometimes you have to do the hard thing and leave the store and leave your cart, your cart of groceries yeah. <laughs> and, and take them. And, um, and those are hard moments, but you won't have to do them that often. If your kid knows you're going to do that, it's just a matter of time before they, they know you're serious. If I tantrum in public, then mom's going to get me in the car. And so I've I've even just done that recently with John where get to the car at like the Target parking lot and he gets his spanks in the car for how he behaved in the store. Um, I don't think there was anything else with that. Toddler tantrums, do you spank? Yeah, you answered that already. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think I can address the, one, the last bullet here just probably quickly. Uh, I think we received this at least once, maybe more than once. Gentle parenting is a term that uh, has been, and you had a, a previous... Uh, professor who practiced that? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, I, I don't know what you were going to say about it, but I have a I quick... was just going to say no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if, you, if you're really concerned about that, I would just say listen to last week's uh, session on discipline, and then if you have further concerns, I am happy to talk with you. I'm sure any of us would be happy to talk with you about that. I would just say two things. First, it's a bad, it's a wrong understanding of who you are. It's anthropology. It's wrong. Mm. Uh, it presupposes an innocence in your child that's not there. And then second, it's really bad exegesis all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, so, you know, the, it's this trying to do, uh, it's cartwheels around and gymnastics around what God says really clearly about the rod and the use of the rod. So, I, you know, it's not really worth a lot of our time. If it is a concern for you, we're happy to address that. Sure. Yep. Yeah, and that, that goes for all of this. We're not going to be able to uh, shepherd effectively <laughs> in parenting from one, you know, 45-minute Q&A session. Uh, but again, the whole body is available to each one of us uh, to, to minister, and, and we need this from you all. You need it from each of us and from each other just to be consistently directed to the truth and, and have these questions answered in a one-on-one -on -one context. And how does this apply in my situation? Because I have this and this and this that are specific details of my challenge. And it's, it's, it could look different um, in different cases. Okay, so next big category. Uh, and this, this did come in several times in the questions. Just whether or not a child is a believer, can they be expected? Can an unbelieving child be expected to respond to discipline? Do you uh, require, force your unbelieving children to pray? How do you handle a profession of faith, whether you think it might be believable or not? All these things about, you know, whether a child is regenerate, what do we expect from them, how do we handle these things? Uh, and I can be more direct, but anyone want to 
start to answer one of those? Do I need to be more direct? Yeah, okay. So do you force your children to pray even if they're not believers, or if they are? No, we, I'm sorry. No, we, we never forced our children to pray. Um, you know, sin and righteousness are a matter of the heart. Your relationship with God is a matter of the heart. I can't, making them pray is, is not going to um, immediately qualify it as uh, true worship and true prayer. Um, we don't want to teach them to be hypocrites. Um, and so we didn't make them. What, what we tried to do, rather, was to model that for them and just make it part of the home, um, imperfect though it, it was, um, but just to, uh, kind of like what you said earlier, you, wanna, you want them to see the benefits, the joy, uh, the blessing of it, um, but we're not going to make them do it. On the other hand, uh, there is a view that says... Um, you shouldn't allow your children to pray uh, if they're unbelievers, uh, because they're unbelievers and uh, God is opposed to the wicked and, and things like that. And, and I always go back to Jesus very simply saying, let the, let the children come unto me. And um, so if they want to pray, I want them to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't want to pray, then I'm not going to make them pray. Um, I want the Holy Spirit to do that work and to the the extent that we can facilitate that and model that, uh, I think I think that's that's what we're called to do. Yeah, and I would I would say what we do, uh, we we try to do what we do because of Scripture. So Ephesians six four, um, we are commanded to raise our children in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. Uh, so what has God called of us? Right, we're to train our children, uh, we're to correct them. And then the instructions of the Lord as well. Well, you know, how you define prayer is, is probably an important thing here. Uh, because we teach our children, you ought to give thanks to God. <laughs> he gave you life today. Uh, you need to praise him this morning. Before you come into the kitchen, uh, you need to thank God for the life he's given you. This is the instruction of the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You have breath, you are to praise God. Right, that's what God, God gave you life, and he can take it away in a moment, son. So thank him. That lizard that you love to play with, God made that. And isn't it wonderful? It's great. He's so kind. You need to thank him for that. So if you want to call that prayer, you know, that's, we don't force our kids to say, okay, go in your room, and I want you to pray for 15 minutes. Of course, we have kids under six. Uh, so this is for us. That's the nuance you should get from me is we're not parents of teenagers yet. Uh, but our six-year, our five-year-old is certainly praying, uh, giving thanks for the world that God has made, uh, and confessing his sin. When we discipline him, he's, we have him pray. Uh, you need to confess this to the Lord. Now, I don't know his heart. Uh, the Lord knows his heart. Uh, but interestingly, he has, um, you know, he has demanded that he's got a new heart from the time he was three. We would talk to him about that, uh, and that would tie into another question about your kid's salvation. Uh, but just quickly, we don't say, uh, you don't have a new heart, you're only three, or you're only four. How could God save a four-year-old? Well, it's not my job to know, I mean, it's not my job to say whether he is or not. We say, praise the Lord. You love Jesus, we love Jesus. Uh, let's live for Jesus. Let's thank God for everything he gives us. So that just sort of becomes a part of our family dynamic. So reading scripture, praying, 
you know, you can't really operate in our family without those things. Uh, this is just part of life for us is giving thanks for everything. Um, Savannah, would you like to say anything? Yeah, I think I would like to talk a little bit about how to handle a young child's profession of faith. Um, this is something that's really dear to my heart. Um, I've experienced in reformed circles for probably the last 10 years a real concern that I have in hearing children and parents um, handle this the situation. I think in reformed circles, we have such a high soteriology and we have such a, an earnest desire that... Um, that we get the gospel right, that we communicate it clearly to our, our children, and we don't want, if we grew up in uh, easy believism type backgrounds, we're, we're so afraid. We don't want to encourage a false assurance in our children that, like, so there's that wrong ditch, and that is wrong. I will be clear that that is, um, it's, that's not your job to say, <laughs> Yes, you are saved. You will be with the Lord Jesus in heaven when you die because you prayed this prayer when you were five. Um, that is a wrong ditch. But I think for us in reformed circles, we, we correct and go to the other ditch of, well, I can't, uh, I don't see fruit in your life, or uh, just being fruit pickers in our children's lives and not being excited because, oh, uh, well, you know, if our children come to us and say, I, I, re I believe in the Lord Jesus and I, I prayed and I confess my sin to him and I'm trusting in him for my salvation. I think, and what I'm hearing from parents and from children is the children of like what their parents are telling them is that they're saying, oh, well, time will tell. And I mean, if you think about that, how discouraging could that be for your faith as a little one? You know, time will tell. Well, what do you mean time will tell? You're telling me that if I trust in the Lord Jesus, I will be forgiven of my sins. What do you mean time will tell? So I think we need to be very careful. Like, we don't trade one ditch of error for another ditch of error. We correct error with the truth. Mm -hmm. And so I think to stay on the path of truth, um, we there's a way that we can encourage faith in our little ones and not give them false assurance. Like, we, there's a way that those things aren't mutually exclusive. So when our kids do say that they're believing in the Lord Jesus and they're, um, they've asked uh, Jesus to forgive them of their sins and God has given them a new heart, we rejoice in that. And we encourage, we keep giving them the gospel. That doesn't mean that we stop giving them the gospel. We keep giving them the gospel. And then when questions come, like uh, with Abram, who says, who has said since he was three that God has given him a new heart and he's believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus for his salvation. I mean, we, we, um, when he asked questions like, will I be in heaven when I die? Because he, he would ask that, you know, in the last few years, he's a couple years, he's asked that. And it's, and so the answer is, well, anyone who believes and trusts in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins is they get to go and be with Jesus when they die. And he'll say, well, mommy, I'm doing that. And I will rejoice with him. Well, praise the Lord. That's so great. We need to give thanks to God for, for the faith that you have. So there's a way that you, can that you can rejoice and celebrate because all of heaven celebrates when someone repents and turns, um, turns from their sin. You can rejoice 
And you can keep encouraging faith and repentance, keep giving the gospel. You don't have to say, oh, well, you know, you can help shepherd them through times of, of doubt or unbelief. You keep giving them the gospel, keep bringing uh, scripture to bear on their lives. But I think that that's just a serious error that we need to be, uh, be aware of. Yeah, good. Thank you, Savannah. Uh, yeah, and I would, <clears throat> I would just add to that, uh, having dealt with this with probably a couple of our kids, uh, when it comes to the point where they want to take or think they might want to take the next step of baptism, uh, and this may even happen in another context, even closer to Abram's age, uh, and I think, I think I got this from you using it with the kids uh, after having read maybe one of their little books about Corey Tenboom, where Corey Tenboom talks about uh, an interaction with her dad where she was asking about some of the details of what was going on at the time in history, is that right? And he told, he told her to go over and pick up his tool bag uh, that he used to, to fix watches. And she went over and couldn't pick it up. And he said, that's right, it's not time for you to pick that up yet. I carry that until you can pick it up. And, and that's, I've used that over and over with our kids, is the Lord, hasn't, the Lord has given you parents to help you steward your profession of faith, to help you steward these decisions, and it's not time for you to pick it up yet. But I do rejoice with you. I'm so thankful that that profession of faith, that trust that you're showing in the Lord is going to be challenged in ways you can't even anticipate as you get older. And then I've come back and reminded, especially our older girls, the Lord is doing what we talked about. He is challenging your profession of faith, and maybe you're not responding so well. And I'm just encouraging you continue to look to Jesus, and you've been trusting him. You've been trusting his promises. He is kind and compassionate, and he will receive you now. Continue to have that faith that you've been telling me you've had. Yeah, yeah. and that's... Yeah, it's gonna, you're going to have trials. Those are coming. Yep. But mom and dad are here to help you bear those. Yep. And we love to do it. We're yep. glad to do it. Yep. Good. Uh, so maybe someone wants to give a quick answer to this. Can a child be expected to respond to discipline or instruction if he or she is not regenerate? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's a quick yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that, you know, it, we, I think when I asked Kelly that, she said, well, yeah, think about the military. Full of unbelievers, right? Not everyone in the military is an unbeliever, but, but you, don't, you don't think, well, they can't respond to discipline or instruction. They're constantly giving discipline and instruction. We, we have as a capacity of our humanity to be able to respond to dis- discipline and instruction. And the Lord uses discipline and instruction to lead to salvation. So... Yeah, that's right. And there are various motives in scriptures for us to obey. God doesn't just threaten us with the rod to get us to obey. There's manifold uh, motivations from scripture. So we have a big toolbox of ways we can motivate our kids to to do what we want them to do. Yeah, good. Okay, and this one might have a quick answer too. And this, I think, Randy, relates to your first week. Why is the goal not salvation? Doesn't faithful parenting lead to a child's salvation? Yeah, I'll try to be real quick on that. So the goal is not salvation because that's not your job, right? Uh, you cannot save your kid. You can't do it. Um, you cannot ultimately control the outcomes. Of course, you influence outcomes, but you can't save your children. Uh, so to have that as your target is going to have you misguided all along the way. Uh, so the goal is First Corinthians 4. It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Uh, you are a steward of this life that God's entrusted into your care, and your job is to be a faithful servant, faithful steward. 
to be God's kind of parent for this child. And in the end, if they don't repent and believe the gospel, it will be tragic and heartbreaking and hard. Uh, But God has not promised the salvation of anyone who doesn't trust in the Son. Mm -hmm. So this is the target. And we're constantly, everything we do is evangelism. And we're training, not only training our kids constantly about what the gospel truth is, but also modeling them how to walk on the right path. So that infiltrates everything we do. Um, and then one more thing. Uh, Isaiah 1 is clear. The Lord says, sons have I reared and brought up, mm-hmm. but they have gone astray. Mm-hmm. This is the perfect parent. I think I've heard Dan say that. The perfect parent, Isaiah 1. So uh, there's no guarantee that your perfect parenting is going to get the outcome you want. God has so structured it that in the end of all of it, we will all look back on it and say, this was all of grace from first to last. I was faithful as I could be with my own limitations, but it, God is incredibly gracious. My kids, if they're saved, it's not because of my excellent parenting, but because of God's extraordinary grace. Uh, that will be our theme for eternity. Amen. Can I add one thing to that? Yeah. Um, in the early years of Calvary, we had a, a whole slew of people who were coming from a certain theological persuasion and um, they were determined. I mean, th- their goal was that they, they get their children saved. And um, noble goal, but I, I agree with Randy, it's, it's the wrong goal. And, uh, but the fruit of that, ironically, was that in, in their attempt to get their child saved, they actually exasperated their children. And, uh, and we know of a number who used to be among us and whose children now have, have turned their backs on the Lord. And we just wonder, you know, was it, was it because of that? It was probably because of a lot of different things. But you can, if you're not careful, you can exasperate your children while you are trying to bring them to Christ. Okay, so this one I think came in a couple times. For, for people in the church, especially non-parents, how would you encourage them to support or minister to the parents and children of the body from what's been taught? Any thoughts? Date nights. <laughs> Amen. And he's not saying that for his own benefit. That's right. <laughs> Um, we've been very blessed and thankful for all the people of our church here that have really interacted with our kids. Um, I think one of the things you can do is you can't interact with every child or every teenager of this church, but you can pray um, to, that the Lord would put a certain person, a couple kids on your heart um, to interact with them regularly, um, to reach out, be a part of their lives. Um, for our adult kids, There are several of you, like, for instance, Wesley in the Coast Guard. There are several of you who have followed him all his life, still call, still pray for him. Now, not everyone does that to him, but there's a few very special people who do that for him. And so when you're looking at supporting parents, I think praying and asking the Lord to put a couple children, maybe a couple families in your life, that you really take a special interest to pray to speak truth to their hearts and encourage um, not everyone, but just a few pointed people. One of the things that older children are reluctant to do, 
we have found is to ask for counsel. Mm. And um, so over the years, we've just pressed in on that. You know, ask for counsel. Ask your parents. If, you're, if you don't want to ask uh, your parents, then there are lots of people, lots of men that you've uh, known. Ken Basinger is one of them, and Russ Dar is another one, and there are others in the church body that our kids will call and talk to to ask for counsel. And, and it's so important that we develop those relationships. Yeah, I would just say to understanding, being patient, especially as uh, parents of three under six, <laughs> you know, we're training them. How do you do a handshake? How do you talk to someone? So oftentimes, you guys have all experienced this. We'll say, all right, Abram, try that again. All right, shake his hand and look at him in the eye. All right, so, and you just, it's awkward. Of course it's awkward. <laughs> I mean, who wants to go through a greeting the second time in a stage <laughs> way? Um, but patiently uh, being there, and understanding that you're a part of this process, it's amazing that we get the privilege to shape this little life uh, for the future. Those shaping influences don't determine who he's going to be ultimately, but they do form him, and you get to be a part of that. And it's just, you know, it's amazing. We can all look back and think of the church we grew up in or the churches that we have grew up in if we've had that privilege. And we know certain people who have went out of their way to just be a blessing like the Kirks were talking about. And those sort of people stick in your mind. Why? Because they are so influential. They have been such a shaping influence in your life. Yeah. So patience, understanding, help us, you know, participate with us. And, and I would just say to parents, uh, invite that kind of instruction. If you could get time with Dan and Chris, uh, get it. Uh, sorry, brother. Just <laughs> uh, to, to ask them questions. What, do you, what would you do in this scenario? Now, of course, they're gonna, we're all trying to live underneath the book, all right? We all do that. And this is, a lot of this is gray. How do, I, how do I apply Scripture in this situation? And, well, people that have went, are ahead of you have maybe learned by trial and error what not to do, and they can at least tell you that. Uh, but seek that out. Don't, don't sit on your questions and think you, you have to figure it all out on your own. Uh, go ask people uh, how do you do this? What do you do in this scenario? And the fruit from that will, will be life-changing, I think. I think I would, just, I would also add to young parents to ask those kinds of questions, but invite reproof, yeah. too. So for us, like the couple that he was talking about in our previous church, we had asked them, if you see anything in our lives, we understand. We do not know what we're doing. <laughs> we're trying our best to apply what we know to, to be faithful, and we want to please the Lord. But if you see that we're doing anything, will you please just tell us? Because we want to know. We don't want to find out five years down the road that everybody was saying, well, we saw you guys doing that, and nobody wanted to say anything. So we were so grateful. And it took them a while to say something because they felt like they had really blown it as parents, um, this, this particular couple. But they were able to share with us out of their failure, out of God's grace to them, you don't want to go down that road. So even if you're thinking, well, I've really blown it, I've really failed, if you have God's word, you can still be a faithful minister of it and be used of the Lord. So the deep relationships, inviting instruction, and inviting reproof are really seem key. That's good. Good. 
Yeah, I think one thing just to add to that, given that we're, uh, we've done the five weeks here on parenting, uh, and I think I may have mentioned this before, part of the hope is you'll be able to direct people who weren't here to the recordings. Uh, you know, or just other ways. You know, like I said, we're each just a beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Uh, whether, you, and this is probably specifically, especially for people who serve in the children's ministry, which, of course, a lot of them are serving in the children's ministry right now. Uh, but you have a special opportunity. And, and think, the parents of these kids are going to want to know how these kids behaved and what they might think to do and implement that maybe they're not. And maybe I can just say, hey, have you listened to our parenting series? Uh, you might get some help, and this is, I observed this and this and this in your child, and I'd love to talk with you. And sometimes you're going to feel so bold as Randy's friend who said, brother, do you ever, ever discipline your kids? <laughs> and other times you'll be, depending on your position and your situation, just more tentative and say, you know, I haven't done this myself, but I know that there are answers, and we had this parenting series that might be a help. Yeah, yeah and I would just add to that, Dan did a series, I don't know how long ago, was that a couple of years ago, The Seven Tools? Um, anyway, th- there's a series as well on our website that uh, Dan put together called the Seven, Seven Tools for uh, Constructing a Child-Honoring Home, something like that, uh, which is really good. Uh, and I've heard several people recommend that. So there are those kind of resources on our website as well. Randy Patton's sermons that uh, Jason has mentioned, and, and uh, there are many more that yeah. maybe we can get to you. Lots of resources, lots of resources. So there again, just ask each other, ask us. And, and be pointed in the direction of instruction that brings this to bear on parenting. Since we're talking about resources, yeah. uh, this would be a good time to plug uh, the biblical counseling training mm. conferences that are coming up here uh, September, October, and November. And there's uh, significant and very, very practical biblical instruction on parenting, on marriage, on, on just... Uh, uh, 30, 30 hours, really 30 different topics um, that are covered in that. Uh, you don't have to want to become a biblical counselor to, to be a part of this. It's just great, great practical training. So we want to invite you to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. It and is free, free for Calvary, Calvary Bible it's Church. It's not free members. for everybody else, right. but if you're a member of Calvary Bible Church, it's free for you. That's right. Good. All right, we're going to run short on time before too long here, but uh, I think we probably want to address sermon training and family worship because there seemed to be quite a bit of interest in that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What kind of behavior during during the sermon, during the service, probably in general, should be expected from kids, say, six to ten years old? Uh, And if you want to expand it past that, go for it. (laughs) And if you want to punt to someone else, go for it. (laughs) Okay, um, and I think it's important to re-emphasize that your biggest um, uh, prayer is is really what you need. Okay, so your family is unique. Your children are unique. God gave you your children, and so everyone's answer is going to be different. Mm. I might look at this differently than these guys look at this. So you probably want to have someone else answer this and feel, you know correct me if I'm wrong <laughs> okay so when you're looking at something like this what I think is important is you go to the end goal and then you work backwards so your end goal is what do you want your children to know about God what priority do you want them to place on the church and how do you want them to react in the community of believers 
The tricky part of this, and Dan illustrated this a little bit a minute ago, is we grew, raised our kids in a very legalistic um, atmosphere. So what we saw is you can have very well-behaved kids in church whose heart is far from the Lord. So you never want to judge where your kids are spiritually because how well they behave in church. So I could have, I'll stereotype, I can have a girl sitting on this side and she makes me look like a really good parent. I can have my boy sitting on this side and they're thinking, does she ever discipline? What is she doing? Well, yeah, I am disciplining, but he's a boy and he's acting age appropriately, really bad. Um, and then I can go home and I always drove home with my kids alone and I would say, what are three things that you learned in church? My girl, who was perfect, sitting there, because, uh, you know, she sat really well, but she didn't hear a word of the sermon. My boy, who was all over the place, you know, threading a pencil up in this teenage girl's hey, ringlets in her hair, like, just all over the place, he gave me three things that he learned about the sermon. So how do I expect a six-year-old to act? It really depends on the child. You do have to discipline but at the same time realizing that your discipline doesn't mean that the sermon's getting into their hearts. So it's important to remember that. So I wanted my kids to love church. And so we encouraged them to do a journal so that they could um, keep track of the sermon. Maddie has a journal. I'm sorry, I used Maddie as an example. I think she started it when she was eight, and she just finished it. And she had two pages, and it was very simplistic when she was younger. Um, it got, you know, more detailed as she was older. So that's one way. Um, I think you not, need to give your kids a lot of physical um, hugs during the sermon or during singing. Really encourage them. I mean, you want it to be a secure, safe place. So I noticed I was singing with my grandchildren in church in Montana, and I looked down, and all five grandchildren were around me. Mm -hmm. I was hugging them. We were singing together. Um, and so you want to, if your children go to church and all you do is discipline and you don't reinforce the positives, they can learn to hate church. Mm -hmm. So you want to really be careful not to overemphasize the discipline without emphasizing the positives. I always felt it was my goal to want, my goal was to help my children want to obey. And that doesn't mean I coax them to obey, but that means I develop a relationship with them where they desire to obey. And so I think that goes along with church. So a six-year-old, you know, you, you want them to sit well, but the goal is so that they can listen and they can not disturb the people around him. So my one girl was sitting really well, but she, was, she wasn't listening. My boy was listening, but he was disturbing all the people around him. And so it's kind of like a sidewalk. You know, you don't want to, like Savannah used the ditch illustration, you don't want to fall off on either edge. On one side, you don't want to make them sit so still they tune out. On the other side, you don't want them to be so wiggly, they're disturbing other people. Um, at that age, you start working with them. You know, at first we said, you go greet, 
you have to greet three adults, and then we ask them when they got home, what are those three adults? Um, six to ten-year-olds in church, really work with them on the playground. There's a lot of sin that happens on the playground out here. <laughs> you might not be aware of it, but so teach them. You know, teach them to look out for, you know, kids that know each other tend to play with kids that know each other. So even a six-year-old, you work with them as far as who you're playing with. Did you meet somebody new? Um, did you make sure you include the other kids? Um, so there's a lot of positive training that you can do and not just focus on the um, spanking, the discipline aspect of it. So that really didn't answer that question. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> she also had the burden of being, and this may sound shocking, but on Sunday morning she was a single parent with seven kids on the back row. So there were some rules, like if you drop your pencil, it stays on the floor. Yes. If you feel like you're going to need to use the restroom in the next two hours, do it before worship starts. Um, things like that that were just helpful, uh, practical kinds of things. Now, I was, I'll say to uh, Chris always looked forward to the teenage years. I know a lot of people dread it. Um, but she looked forward to it, and, and I learned to look forward to it as well. But, um, but the same kind of thinking just translated into uh, how do you do this with teenagers? And we just, we just tried to have as much fun as we possibly could as a, as a family. You know, backpacking and hiking and taking long walks and uh, even rock climbing and, and uh, anything we could do to, to challenge them and to encourage them and to put us in situations where we could speak into their hearts and en encourage them to do more than they think. I used, to, I used to tell the boys all the time, my job is to teach you you can do far more than you think you can. And, uh, and then let's, let's practice that in a, in a certain way that, that gives them success, uh, the experience of success and joy with the family. It's really good. Um, just touching on Chris, your statement about uh, <laughs> the way that you you guys were aiming towards the heart. Here's the end goal, and this is what our target is. So we work backwards from that. And I would think uh, two ditches that you don't want to fall in are one is parenting from pride. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm angry with you not because you were twirling the girl's hair, but because they were behind us. Did you know the pastor was sitting behind us and he saw you do that? Please don't say that to your child. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, you're teaching them to live in the fear of man. Uh, you, our job is to teach them to fear God mm -hmm. uh, more than they fear people. So it doesn't matter if the president or the pastor or whoever, your boss was sitting behind and your kid threw the pencil or whatever. No, they did that before the face of their creator, and they should not have done that. And, of course, discipline happens, but... Uh, the other extreme is, well, I don't care what anyone thinks, so they just let them do what they want to do. They're kids, let them act like kids. Well, of course, we, the target is the heart, exactly what Chris was saying. This is where we're shooting for. And so you want to be consistent, and that's probably key, is consistent in the way you discipline at home. You don't ratchet it up at church. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you're disciplined for every infraction, whereas at home, I'm like, ah, oh, whatever, I, I'm doing my thing. No, you're consistent with what are punishable or uh, spankable offenses and you carry that out in a consistent manner so that your kids know that you live quorum Deo. You are the kind of person who lives before the face of God. And that's, that's before, that's, we make all of our decisions before the living God. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, we have fun. It's wonderful. We love it. 
God loves us, and he's given us this wonderful world to enjoy. But he's also given us instructions on how to behave. So we have to sort of strike a balance there. Yeah. You guys definitely need to say something. Uh-huh. I wanted to say something about the sermon training, especially for um, little ones. If you, and I'm going to be doing sermon training again really soon with Johnny because he's going to graduate out of Children's Church, so he will be sitting with us. So I'm going to gear up for it again. Um, but giving them um, guidelines on what kind of freedoms they can have in the sermon I found is helpful because the kids are going to be squirmy. They are going to have to go to the restroom. They are going to want to ask you a question. So I let my kids know at what point in the sermon or what point in the service that's appropriate. So like when we're, the, when we're passing the offering baskets, that's when you all can ask me your questions because at that point it's okay if there is a little bit of talking going on. But they know. Or if they need to run to the restroom, that's always before the sermon, like Dan said, like, go before or else you're not going to get another chance until the closing hymn. (laughs) And then with the pastor, once the pastor starts to preach, my kids know they're not allowed to open up their little Velcro booklets and their little journals and get their pens out. There's a time to do that before pastor starts. So just to kind of, and when they know their freedoms, they know when they can get their pencil out, when they can do those things. But they know that when pastor starts to preach, they're going to be quiet. They're not going to fidget. They're going to sit and they're going to try to listen out of respect for pastor. Um, and so they're not running and they're not getting up as pastor's preaching and walking out the door. I think my only exception for that is if they are like going to cough for five minutes I will let them leave quietly so they can go do that because that would be more disturbing to pastor than having them sit there. But as far as like bathroom breaks, it's either before or they hold it. So we've definitely had some squirmers. And, I'm and you like, can practice that yeah. in a video setting at home. Yes, and just kind of, and then give them those reminders, like don't forget to go to the restroom before the sermon starts. And, and it's all really just as a way to teach them how to be respectful to pastor when he's preaching and how to love the congregation around them, too. Um, Also, you know, like, just telling them those things. When you turn around and stare at the person behind you, they have a hard time focusing. (laughs) So just those little instructions to help, you know. um, But, yeah, if you give them the wiggle room as far as, like, they know they can still ask you a question in the service, and then they know what time, you know. But, yes, for 6 to 10 at that age, if a kid can sit through a movie quietly in their chair, they can sit through a sermon. Can I just add just something really practical that, uh, that we really didn't do much of, but uh, I know other parents did, uh, and that is they had a goal for the kids uh, while they were listening. For example, just simple things to get them to be listening to the sermon, whether they were actually getting anything spiritual out of it or not. Um, for example, uh, I remember the first time a child came up to me and said, uh, you said Jesus 27 times. <laughs> and I thought... Really, is that all you got out of this? <laughs> and then after a few times when they would come up and say, you said, um, you said God, you know, a hundred and whatever times. Um, and I, I got into a conversation with uh, one of the parents, and they said, uh, yeah, we, we don't know how much they're getting of theological truth, but this is a way to help them just focus on listening. They're listening, they're listening for something. And then they're developing the habit of listening and uh, I, I always thought that was good. Yeah, we had one daughter that was an artist, and so I told her, sorry, <laughs> We're to, five draw, minutes over. <laughs> to draw pictures if she's listening, because I have an artsy one. So she didn't do words. So I said, but you can draw a picture of the sermon to keep her focus. 
And so Dan would get these pictures on his desk of him like preaching. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> pictures of me, they're wonderful. <laughs> Remarkable. Okay, so like I said, we're five minutes over. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your word is sufficient for every matter of life and godliness, including parenting. And Father, we thank you for the heart that you've given to your people, that you've given to uh, each of the parents here who know and trust you and love you and want to do your will. Father, we thank you that your word is clear. And Father, we pray for the wisdom to put into practice and Lord, as a body, to minister to each other in ways that help all of us to be diligent and faithful in the work that you've called us to as parents. And we do pray, Father, as has already been prayed, for the salvation of our children. Father, that you would uh, save each of them from a young age and make them a trophy of your grace for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.